Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And again, this is Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. One more time, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So it's been a lot going on, a lot that I want to talk about. And I changed, you know, what I originally was going to feature on this show. I was going to talk about people like Pharrell and Raven Simone and, you know, others like that, Tyler Perry and Lee Daniels. But you know what? Everything that needed to be said, you know, we've pretty much said it. So let me read you the description. It says, please join us as we discuss the magical Negro, new blacks, and the Republicans, Libertarians, and Tea Partiers, and Democrats, progressive liberal whites who love them. They especially like the ones who can't speak, literally, have been paid off, or are dead. It puts a new spin on being seen and not heard. The original premise for this show has changed. Initially, I wanted to talk about certain celebrities and their inclination to put their feet in their mouths. This subject has been covered by numerous think pieces over the years, and you already know how I feel. Between Raina and Red Ninja, I think we've pretty much said it all. And so I'm not going to beat that dead horse. The distrust of communities of color need to be addressed. We're good enough to exploit and manipulate, but not good enough to be believed. We're expected, demanded to vote for the good white people, but not good enough to invest money to encourage voting or listening to our demands. We're good enough to be the help, entertainment, and or the dish, but not good enough to be considered human and equal. And so it's so much that goes into this that I know I won't be able to cover it all, nor am I necessarily trying to do so. However, given, again, the political climate and the cultural climate in this country, I would be remiss if I did not, you know, address certain things Um you know, I had to cancel last Sunday's show, an emergency in the middle of the night, and by the time I got back home in my bed, it was already into the afternoon or close early afternoon, and I just knew I wouldn't be able to do it. As a matter of fact, I ended up sleeping the rest of the day. So my apologies for not being able to be here, but it was something else that was def- truly, truly, truly more pressing. But There are a number of things that I want to talk about. You know, I'm still sitting back and reading some of the tweets with the She Persisted hashtag. And so, you know, definitely that can be taken and dealt with in so many different ways. And, you know, what kind of annoyed me a little bit was how you had some people trying to play off or try to play into, you know, creating a division by saying that Elizabeth Warren was reading the words of Coretta Scott King and 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 that she was cut off because the Senate didn't want to hear the words of Coretta Scott King. And then you had the division in which 
people looked at the situation in which Elizabeth Warren was cut off because she was a woman, because the very next day white men were able to quote parts of that letter during their address, you know, to the you know to the Congress there, and there's so much that can be derived from that particular situation, but. You know, some good work that can come out of that hashtag per se, but I just find it, you know, interesting how, again, whiteness is being centered in that particular conversation. And so, you know, again, I just sit back because the different narratives that are out there, and it always falls back to a white savior generally is usually a white male, so the white male savior or the magical Negro to save the day, you know, and I'm just looking because with everything that's happening now, I still feel as though, you know, people of color, particularly black and brown people, are being scapegoated, not only scapegoated, we're being pushed to the front line so that we can, you know, take the the brunt of the punches so that we can take, you know, the beatings and, and, <laughs> and um, you know, the punishment while everybody else just walks through nice and easy like, see, it wasn't that bad. And so, I don't know, maybe it's just, how I'm looking at these things, but I'm not by myself. And, you know, what used to get me when I was younger, when I would have, you know, conversations, whether it was about religion, politics, sex, culture, history, what have you, and I would have people, they would say, well, not everybody can be wrong. You know, you're just thinking wrong. And I'm like, no, I'm not thinking wrong. I'm looking at this from another standpoint. You know, there are many ways in which you can look at a situation. And, you know, what I find interesting is that apparently I was on the right track with a lot of things, you know, because, you know, <laughs> you people are saying it now. Some of the things I said when I was younger, people thought I was nuts. Interestingly enough, now they're saying what I was saying then. But, you know, there were quite a few things that I was wrong about, you know, and I admit to those. And when I have these shows and I talk about different subjects, I have no problems telling you guys that at one point I thought it was this and I was wrong. It was really this, but this is my evolution and try to kind of update you on how I went through a particular metamorphosis, right? So, you know, just looking at everything that's happening, you know, with President Bannon and his cabinet, you know, that, what is his name, Steve Miller guy? I think it's Steve Miller, the Miller dude, right? The one who said that Donald Trump's authority and words will not be defied and, you know, in and, and he's the authority and how dare we question him or critique him, you know, and I'm not quoting him verbatim, but just, you know, the narrative that he put out there. And, you know, we got Steve Bannon in there and what's that other guy, Richard Spencer and a number of other ones. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this cabinet I'm looking at some of the white people coming out of the woodworks as talking heads, um, watching some of the white people online. And, you know, we've been watching you guys for a while. You know, we've had no choice. 
But, you know, seeing how all of this has changed, and especially some of the people who claimed that they loved Barack Obama and he was, you know, their guy, and now you're upholding Trump, which, you know, to me is quite interesting. I mean, we didn't have a good selection to begin with as far as who we decided to vote for. You know, all of the candidates were horrible. You know, and I'm talking about, you know, even Gary, what's his name, and and Jill Stein. You You know, they weren't the best of the best either. But considering what you have to go through to be a public politician or a public servant, you know, I can see why many people have no interest in going into politics. And so... With that being said, you know, I'm going to move on, but like I said on the last show a couple of weeks ago, you know, at at one point in time, I know I called Trump crazy and stupid and all of that, and I have since, you know, taken back those words. I've corrected myself because the guy is not stupid. And he's nowhere near crazy. And let me tell you why. Because what's happening now, what he's doing is quite ingenious. And this is something that I've suggested over the years that the Democrats should have done, which is the very next day after he was inaugurated, he started his reelection campaign. And that's what you saw yesterday with that stop in Florida. And he's already out there, you know, getting the people riled up and keeping the momentum going and and encouraging people to get out and to vote and to stand behind him. Now, he's trying to turn this segment of people against the media, which is a whole different set of issues that, you know, I probably will address at some point on this show today or in the future. You know, well, I'm going to talk about it a little bit today, but um, – but the fact that he's starting his campaign, and he already has over $20 million. You know, I don't have this specific amount, but I know it's over $20 million already into his, you know, reelection campaign. And this is something that, you know, with a lot of these politicians, they're very lackadaisical when it comes to their elections, especially if they're an incumbent. Because the odds are, for the most part, that the incumbent will win again. So they put some effort in, but not really quite as much effort. However, you know, with the way that, you know, Team Trump is putting this into play, you know, I hope the Democrats and these third-party candidates, I hope they're paying attention. Because he's showing you a whole different playbook here. And it would be to your best benefit to um, make some changes. You know, with that being said, you know, I keep hearing these different narratives that keep popping up about, you know, Donald Trump and his, his whole election being declared null and void and Hillary installed as the president. Look, y'all, that's never going to happen, period. It's not going to happen. He won the votes of the Electoral College. We already know the racist, you know, um, foundation of the Electoral College. He, he's there, period. You know, Hillary will not be taking over. And it's interesting because some of the same theories that I hear regarding the Trump presidency were the same theories I heard in regards to Obama, 
And, you know, again, we need people to wake up, pay attention to the reality, the reality that we're currently living in, not some imagined reality that that you're hoping for and not some alternative fact reality that, you know, they're trying to sell you. You know, we need for you to pay attention to what's happening. And so you have all of these protests happening around the country. They're not getting as much press as the organizers and activists would like for them to have. And we all know that's being done on purpose because, you know, the Bannon White House has declared war on the media. And as a matter of fact, from my understanding, he's supposed to be signing an executive order regarding media loyalty. Now, you all need to understand what's happening here and what this means. And at the end of the day, you know, what I would say is, you know, he's trying to set it up so that the only thing that people can say about him are positive things, things that are constructive, things that will help him you know, be reelected and adored and loved, you know, all of this by executive order, right? And you see how he's banning certain people from, you know, the press, you know, from the um, the press conferences and, you know, the, the daily briefings and all of that. But, yeah, guys, you need to pay attention to that. And, you know, one of the points that I want to make in regards to that is the media, you know, they're the ones who made him and they're the ones who keep him. And, you know, you know, that the White House administration, now they're angry because Kellyanne has been banned from a couple of shows and there have been other people that are being banned from different networks. And they got the, the formula all wrong. If the media just stopped covering him, and just covered what was happening in Congress and in bills and, you know, that are being passed and, you know, things that are being brought up, you know, for vote, whether it's, you know, bills or any type of legislation. That is what we really need to be focused on because, again, there are a lot of things being passed and being brought up to vote, you know, in in, in Congress that the average person has no idea that, you know, this is happening. And because all the focus is on, you know, the Trump administration and their antics, which is what they want. However, they want you to cover their antics in a certain way. And so, again, like I said, I blame the media for a lot of these problems here. However, you know, this is also being done by design. You know, Bannon, Trump, Miller, Spencer, you know, and, and their other compatriots there. They're not stupid people. And if you want to delude yourself into believing that, so be it, but you are underestimating these folks. And that is going to come back to haunt us. And so we have to be proactive as opposed to being reactive. And one of the ways of being proactive is to pay attention to more than the sensational headlines and stories that are out there. We need to, you know, go over to C-SPAN and see what these people are talking about, what's coming up to vote, 
who are the players? You know, why are certain players problematic? We need to be pushing them to investigate the Russian ties. Now, you know, my standpoint on the Russia thing is in regards to them hacking the election machines, you know, I downplayed that because I don't believe that that was, you know, the most pressing problem in regards to the Democrats losing the election. However, I do believe, and I believe then, and I still maintain that Russia played a part in Trump's, you know, winning, eventual winning of the election. So I want to make sure that that's clear. However, now that Jeff Sessions has been confirmed as the Attorney General, there is a whole department that is dedicated to making sure that the election machines are not hacked. Guess who's being eliminated? They're trying to eliminate and get rid of that department. So, again, you know, Jeff Sessions is problematic for a number of reasons, not only because of his, you know, racist proclivities, if you will, but also they're wanting to roll back a number of protections that are in place, you know, for different people in this country. So y'all keep keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes and your ears open. And again, you know, I've talked about the immigrants and, you know, again, we need to change the language. You know, you can call them immigrants, you know, and I hate when they use the word illegal immigrants. You know, the preferable language is undocumented immigrants, you know, undocumented as opposed to illegal. So, you know, again, little nuances like that, they make a really big difference. So I'm putting forth an effort to correct myself. And you may hear me say it every once in a while, but I'm going to try to correct it as much as I possibly can. And that's one of the problems with, you know, the media. You you hear this stuff and it just sticks. Just like, you know, they were calling black Americans refugees, and especially when we had Hurricane Katrina. But, you know, I'm going to leave that alone. But if you want to Google some information, you know, I, I want you to find out and go look up. They were calling black Americans fleeing a hurricane refugees. But when you had the white people fleeing the hurricane, was it Hurricane Andrew, you know, they were just citizens looking for food to eat. You know, we were looting, but they were trying to find food to eat. So, again, these double standards. But, you know, again, you know, the way that you can judge a country and its society is by how it treats, you know, the least fortunate, you know, of this country. And right now, what we're seeing with, you know, this you know, Muslim ban, you know, that they tried to reword and call a travel ban. And the way that they're being treated, the way the Native Americans are being treated, the way Latinos are being treated, the way, you know, um, Asians are being treated, because there are some issues with that as well. And especially the way that blacks are being treated, because whether most people want to admit it or not, in America, the black community is used as the measuring stick. 
It is used as a measuring stick and it's used as a cautionary tale. So when you have people immigrating into this country, they'll tell them, well, look at the blacks. You don't want to be like them. You don't want to end up like them. And then you have a lot of these other cultures perpetuating anti-blackness and perpetuating racism and, and sexism and, you know, a number of other things because of the way that they are trained when they come to this country. And if you speak to, you know, some immigrants that come to America, they will tell you that they were surprised by the racism and, and, and you know, the inequality and all of that in this country because they had not anticipated it. But in order for you to be invited and included into the Venn diagram of whiteness, you know, one of the requirements is anti-blackness. So I need for you all to understand that and to go and do some reading. But what's so interesting, because I was telling you some of the theories that, you know, took place when Obama was elected – I remember they were saying that Texas wanted to succeed from the country. Now they're saying that California is threatening to leave. Bye. Adios. You want to go, go on, you know, but it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And it's not going to happen. And right now they need to be worried about all that rain and those dams breaking and then the drought and a number of other issues that are taking place in California. But again, you know, these theories are always out there. And so, you know, I want to call it fake news, you know, just for shits and giggles, but can't do that because of what the Bannon administration is is you know, perpetuating with the with the press. Anything that they do not agree with, anything that they do not like, that is fake news to them. And what's so interesting is I'm seeing a lot of people with the talking points. As a matter of fact, there was an interview on CNN with Don Lemon, and there was a black Republican strategist whose name I forgot, and he kept saying fake news. And got Don Lemon frustrated to the point that Don Lemon pretty much just walked off the air, ended the segment, and just walked away. And so you're going to hear a lot of people saying that. And I want you to pay attention to the people that are around you and ones out there that are trying to call this, you know, anything that they don't like fake news. Pay attention. You know, and what's so interesting is when they were talking about California succeeding from, you know, the United States, um, and, and, and there was some talk even about Texas, which I couldn't understand because it's a big old red state. But, you know, my thing is if Cali wants to leave, fine, goodbye, take Texas with you, and all the box states up there that most Americans can't identify on a map. You know, many of them are home to white supremacists. Take all them motherfuckers with you, you know. And so that's how I see that. But, you know, there's a protest going on in New York today. And it's a pro-Muslim protest. And, you know, they're trying to show the diversity in America and show that they stand with the Muslims and how 
the Bannon administration is being unfair. So that's what's taking place in New York right now. And as I stated on my last show, all right, I get it. You know, I get it. Some of these immigrants, you know, that's being lost in the conversation, some of these immigrants are black because I posted an article on how the Bannon administration is speeding up the deportation of Haitian, you know, immigrants in this country. So, you know, not only, you know, Haitians, but from all over the place, you know, Nigerians, you know, Ethiopians and a number of them. And you all need to go and you need to pay attention. So, yes, black people are affected by, you know, this, you know, the Bannon administration's proclivities to to vilify and demonize immigrants. And so it's important that we pay attention to that because, again, it does affect our community. However, beyond that, we need to pay attention to what's happening because these are just test runs. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. This is a test run. They're pushing the envelope to see how far they can get. They're pushing the envelope to see how much they can push the, you know, the American public before the American public actually stands up and snaps. Now, black people, brown people, red people, yellow people, they're coming after you too. Yes. They're going to come after you, too, and I need for you all to understand that they're just trying to see what they can get away with, and and their plans for the rest of us are even more insidious than this. And what's so interesting is you have people from marginalized communities standing in solidarity in some respect with this current administration inventing their frustrations with you know, documented and or undocumented immigrants. Now, I think that's a mistake. That's me. However, I guess my question is because we understand that in order to be, you know, considered an honorary white person in this country, you have to perpetuate anti-blackness, you know, how many of those people are going to stand with us? And, you know, this is nothing new. You all have heard me talk about this. How many of them are going to come out and rally with us? And the reason why I'm kind of harping on this is because not only with, you know, the, the, the honorary white immigrants that come to this country, I'm talking about even the so-called allies, in this country. Now, you know, I've said things over the years that have not made me popular, which I don't give a damn about. You know, you all have been around here long enough to know that I don't necessarily care about popularity. I don't want to come to your convention. I don't want to come to your conference. I don't want to talk to your people. Leave me alone. Okay? And I'm pretty happy with that. You know, I, you know, I, I say what I got to say on my show. I'll interact. There are some things that I am interested in being a part of. But as far as being a part of, you know, a particular circle with some of these white allies, I give a thumbs down to it. I'm not interested, period. You know, and I'm not pushing you away as an ally. 
All I'm saying is I'm not the help, I'm not the entertainment, nor am I on the fucking menu, and I'm not going to allow you to treat me that way. Okay, and so this is why you hear me sometimes talking about so-called, you know, allies and, you know, hammering hard at progressive liberal whites because for, you know, way too many of them, you know, they'll say, well, yeah, I'm part of the LGBTQ community and our civil rights have been violated and the blacks need to stand with us and you know, so on and so forth. And there have been stories coming out left and right. I put one on my wall, and I believe it was an NPR story about this gay white man who reached out to talk to some of the conservatives, talk to some of the people on the right, and apparently his liberal, his left-leaning friends got upset with him and were angered at the fact that he even entertained a conversation and while they were angry with him and he was quote unquote confused by their anger what he did was he was talking to the people on the right and apparently they opened up their arms they welcomed him with open arms and you know little gift baskets of chocolates and ham and cheese and you know he felt so you know welcomed and it was such a warm embrace now he's you know siding with the conservatives on the right and the thing you know the truth of the matter is Many of these people, they've already been there. These are some of the same people who refuse to acknowledge their white privilege. And even with this last election, their whiteness was centered. That is what many of them went with. So they went with their whiteness before they went with their, you know, sexual identity or sexual orientation or their ideology, whether they're Christians or, you know, what the hell ever, you know, Buddhists, whatever you are. You know, and it was a lot of that out there, you know, with the white women, 53%, you know, voted for Donald Trump. You know, again, that whiteness came before their gender identity. And so when you have little stories like this coming out, they're not little stories, they're big stories because there's a big lesson to be learned. I was unpopular because I refused to stand up with a lot of these white organizations that are out here that claim solidarity with the black community they you know they their solidarity with us is as long as we're doing what we're told we're not rocking the boat and we're helping them to achieve their agenda further their agenda as they continue to throw us under the bus it happens every time why some of you all don't get it i don't know all i gotta say is you know maybe you've made best friends with that brick wall that's the only thing that makes any sense to me And here is another example, you know, besides the white women voting for Trump, now you have white LGBTQ members or people coming out saying that they identify more with, you know, the conservative right, these Tea Partiers, these libertarians. Well, that's never really been a secret. However, you know, they play these word games, you know, and – you know, try and basically, you know, convince people of color that we should be on their side and, you know, a victory for them is a victory for us. And we all know that that's a lie. 
And so I need for you all to understand that what's happening now with the Muslims, this is just a bunch of bullshit, and but this is a test run. And I've said it before, but I need for you to hear it, and you need to understand this. Who's going to stand up for us? Who's going to protect us? And some of these, you know, marginalized groups that are being attacked by the Bannon administration, yeah, you know, they want us to stand in solidarity with them when some of them have never stood in solidarity with us. They didn't even pretend like they did. You know, and so they, they, they're they out here demanding that we stand in solidarity with them, or if we don't stand in solidarity with them, at least shut our mouths, right? At least be quiet about the situation, be quiet about the fact that they have perpetuated anti-blackness over the years. You know, so you stand with us or you be quiet. And this is something that we've heard a lot in this country. This is something that we've been subjected to, you know, quite a bit in this country. And, you know, what's so interesting is, is again, you know, seeing some of the black people on, you know, in the black community here in America, and we've talked about respectability politics and how it's bullshit. Right, but you have a lot of black people who kowtow to respectability politics, and some of them really think that they are different than the rest of us. So, if push comes to shove, and it's not an if, it's a matter of when, are they going to be in the streets with us, or are they going to be in the house turning out all the lights and peeking from behind the blinds and the curtains, hoping that nobody sees them looking out there while, you know, you have these young folks out here in the streets fighting, fighting to make sure that they're free too. What are they going to be doing? You know, you're going to be Uncle Ruckus? What, you're going to be Uncle Sambo? What the fuck are you going to do? And it's just I'm looking at all of this, and I'm trying to get us to, to think and try to look at some of these things a little differently because what they say, all skin folk, you know, all kin folk ain't skin folk or all skin folk ain't kin folk, you know, however that goes. Just because they look like us and may sound like us and in some cases have the same blood as us. That doesn't mean that they're in line with us and what we're trying to do. And so you have those folks out there. And some of these are the first ones, some of these particular black folks are the first ones out here caping for these whites and trying to protect them. And knowing that some of the things that these whites are doing and saying are wrong. But again, some of these same black people think that they're different and think that they're going to get some type of reward for siding with said white people. And they're not. You know, you you think you're going to get a seat at the table. You know, that's probably only temporary so you can keep it warm for Miss Ann and Mr. Charlie coming in. You know, because again, if you look and you pay attention Again, we're the entertainment or we're the help. Look at how President Bannon spoke to April Ryan, you know, that black reporter, when she asked him a question about the CBC, which he didn't know what the hell that was, so she had to say the Congressional Black, you know, Congress and um, caucus, sorry. 
And basically, he invited her to to put together a meeting, like she's his secretary, you know, talking down to her. She's bringing this up, but, she, but he's talking down to her, like all the black people know each other, and all the black people are thinking the same way. You know, what about Omarosa and all those and Ben Carson, yeah, Uncle Ben over there. You know, why haven't they set up anything with the Congressional Black Caucus? And from my understanding, Omarosa has been trying to facilitate that. However, the way he spoke to April Ryan was, you know, he was very condescending and patronizing. And it reminded me of when Hillary Clinton spoke to the Black Lives Matter activists when she told them to, you know, why don't you run? You know, why don't you run for a seat? Why don't you run for, you know, for a position? And, you know, what's so interesting, you know, about it is they are white people are used to talking down to black people, being very sarcastic, very condescending. And so you had some white people out there like, well, why doesn't she set it up? That would be great for her career. It can open so many doors. And some of us are over here giving you the side eye like, really? Really? And, and <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at it, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And so I just I need for you guys to pay attention. Pay attention, you know, in some of these blacks that kowtow again to respectability politics, you know, if the situation ever occurs where, you know, black people get some type of reparations, are they going to be the first ones in line? You know, and when shit hits the fan for real, are they going to be the first ones trying to get a ticket the fuck out of here? You know, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, why do we leave? Why, why do we have to leave? We don't have to leave. We built this country, and we've maintained this country. You know, again, anti-blackness, fear, poverty, all of those are industries in which billions of dollars are being made. And this is why you see me pointing the finger at these so-called white allies that are leading the resistance, as they like to say. But again, and I'm going to keep saying this until I get tired of saying it or I forget it and move on to something else, but you cannot talk to your friends, your families, your your the members of your organization, your Twitter followers, your Facebook followers, you know, members, again, members of your organization. You can't even talk to them about racism or sexism or any of these isms and phobias that are out here. But you want us to believe that you're going to lead the resistance. And the thing is, is that I know good and damn well quite a few of you all voted for Trump. And the thing is, is that you all didn't care what he did to other people because, you know, as long as he didn't mess with you, you had your white privilege to fall back on. See, regardless, you were going to be okay. It didn't matter who was elected because your white privilege was going to protect you. 
And I know some of the, you know, working class and poor whites are looking at the phone like, she's crazy. You know, I get as much shit as black people do. And, you know, I get pulled over by the police. And, you know, black, I mean, white people are killed by the police every day as well. So, you know, you know, and then it turns back into, you know, some of the callers we get with white people thinking that they are now the victims and trying to perpetuate this narrative of victimhood, right? And too ignorant to understand that what they're doing is extremely dangerous and is dangerous to the people that they call allies or that they claim to be in solidarity with. And it's up to other white people to stop that to check them on that because I'm hearing those particular arguments more and more each day. And it's also one of the reasons why membership is increasing for the Klan and these white nationalist groups. And, you know, this is being documented all over the country. You know, in many suburbs here in the Chicago area, you have the Klan out here actively recruiting folks, you know, leaving notes, um, you know, little bags with recruitment information. So they have been emboldened and empowered. And you need to start asking yourself why. Why are they emboldened? Who empowered them? And why is this discussion so necessary? You have, you know, you know, I was talking to a friend, and he was telling me how, you know, someone he's acquainted with, how they were, you know, this is a black person, and he was talking to another black person. And this other black person said that the Klan no longer exists. And, you know, he he gave them proof and showed them information, but they refused to believe it. And it's just really interesting, especially when you have black people who attend predominantly white churches and they do not understand what the, you know, what the white church in general stands for. And it's sad. And you want to reach out and you want to talk to them, but you can kind of understand where they're coming from. I mean, their religion teaches them that, you know, they're supposed to make peace with all men. And, and you know, again, you judge a person by their character, whereas that's not necessarily the case with us. You know, and it's a shame that we're out here and we're still demanding to be treated equal. We're demanding to be seen as human. And to be honest with you guys, we should have given up hope on that a long time ago. You know, stop begging these people to see you as a human. Stop begging these people to give you your agency. Just take it. Because at this point, we really have no other choice. And so it's just, I don't know. You know, I always like to talk about the frog in the boiling water, and this is how I see many of us. And at first, you know, you jump in the water, it's cold, and you're shivering, but you know if you stand there long enough, 
you know, your your body will acclimate to the temperature of the water. But the problem is, you know, some slick person comes by and turns the eye on, you know, the eye of the stove, and now you got a little bit, you know, a fire under there. And it's getting warmer and warmer, but the people that are in that pot Oh, you're just chilling. It's feeling good. You feel like floating around. This is great, you know. And you're not noticing the tiny bubbles that are popping up all around you. You know, and next thing you know, (laughs) you know, you're a goner. So, we need for you all to pay attention to what's happening. And in regards to the white people out there, I'm sitting back and I'm watching, and some white people are starting to realize that, you know, President Bannon lied to them. But it's only a few. As time goes on, the rest of them will figure it out and they will learn. But there are many of us sitting back and watching you know, what's happening here, and to kind of take it back to center about, you know, what Donald Trump is doing with the rally he had yesterday, I need for you all to understand that that was not a normal, not a typical rally. That was a presidential reelection rally, which is why he was able to dictate who was able to enter and who was not. See, it's these little things, these little details, these little minute details that you all need to understand. That was a political rally, plain and simple. And because it came under the header for his reelection, he was able to dictate who was able to enter and, and participate. And so what he's doing is he's trying to build this particular narrative that he's loved and adored. And unfortunately, with too many people in this country, if they hear that, they continue to hear that narrative over and over and over, they will start believing it. So, again, like I said, we're not telling you what to think. We're not telling you how to think. We just want you to think. And, you know, this is what's happening. And so, again, You know, this White Lives Matter movement is gaining more and more support, more and more, you know, know, um, more and more support, more and more momentum. And for many of these white people, you know, their whiteness comes before everything. So, again, that is the reason why you saw some of the divide in the white religious community or the white Christian community because some of them put their whiteness before they put their Christianity. And so it's been interesting to watch this. But the flip side of this is watching some of these white pastors and, you know, ministers and evangelists and all of that who basically preside over predominantly black congregations. And, you know, I'm going to put together some shows talking about that. And I'm specifically going to be talking about people like Rod Parsley, Pat Robinson, um, Paula White, 
you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. and Franklin Graham and, you know, a number of these people who are, again, white and have a predominantly black congregation. Now, with the exception of Pat Robertson, you know, the rest of them are pastors. And I don't believe Jerry Falwell Jr. has a predominantly black congregation, but he has a significant amount of black and Latino people that attend his church. And not only that, they view their programs on television. And it's important that we have this conversation. And so not only am I going to talk about the white pastor's that preside over black congregations and their support of Trump. I really want to revisit a series that I did a few years ago talking about the difference between the black church and the white church and the significance of the black church and the black community. And along with that, you know, I'm definitely going to have a section in which I talk about these mega pastors, these mega churches and how they, you know, basically they perpetuate, you know, poverty and, and, and it's a pyramid scheme. And I just, I'm going to have to break it down, but I definitely have to give a shout out to Yvette Carnell because Friday um, afternoon I was coming home from the doctor's office and on my phone, it said, "Hi, that Carnell is live." So you know, I clicked it on to listen to it, and you know, she hit on some points that I've talked about on this show before. And you know, one of the points that she talked about was how you have black people out here who are basically saying that. You know, they're holy millionaires and holy billionaires and that this, you know, this poverty and, and, and this lack is just temporary. Now, she didn't go into the spiritual aspect of it, but I have and I will because you have these people out here listening to some of these pastors, and they don't even have to be a mega pastors. You hear this in every day, even, you know, storefront churches that God has a blessing for you. You're next in line for your miracle. And, you know, this this is just a temporary status, this poverty, this being poor, working from, you know, going from paycheck to paycheck, working for the man, and, you know, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up. And, I mean, all of that. And we need to talk about that. You know, and again, she didn't come at it from a spiritual standpoint. I did. And, you know, I've talked about it before, but this is going to be a part of that series. Now, what Yvette was talking about was how you have people out here, black people, black and brown people, out here bootstrapping and killing themselves. For what? You know, we always, many of us say that you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. You know, and that has remained true, yet we're still being called lazy. And we've been called lazy ever since we decided that we didn't want to work for free. However, again, the situations and the crisis that we face in many of our communities, this has been created. This is not a coincidence. I posted an article on my wall, and it was talking about um, 
I can't think of it right now, but it was talking about, to a certain extent, poverty. I'm going to look at my Facebook now since I brought it up. But it was talking about how our circumstances have been created, right? You know, the poverty, the lack, you know, dilapidated schools, dilapidated communities, and how all of that came about. And what we need for you all to understand is that this is not by chance. All right, it was talking about segregation and how segregation had to be invented. And so that's not exactly the direction that I'm going in, but that's true too. You know, where I'm going with this is how it doesn't matter. You can be a black person with three degrees, you know, behind your name, and they'll still have you out there shucking corn while you'll have a white person who's a high school dropout, and they're the VP of the company. There's a reason for that. And and they get to kick back and be the boss and delegate all the shitty stuff to the rest of us while getting paid more to do absolutely nothing. And the thing about it is, again, we're out here killing ourselves, trying to prove ourselves, and it's psychological warfare. And you all need to understand that. You know, that narrative is being played over and over in the media as a means to to manipulate, exploit, and control us. And you need to understand that, you know, again, with the segregation, I can tie that in with what I'm talking about with the poverty and all of that. If you go and you look at the records of many of the so-called ghettos which were created, which originally housed Jewish people, but, you know, we'll talk about the history of the ghetto at another time, how wealthy white landowners profit from that. And after this, you know, after the bubble popped in 2007-2008, you had banks and wealthy landowners going in buying all of this property up next to nothing. And again, pay attention to what's happening with gentrification. There's a documentary um that's being put together talking about gentrification and it was specifically targeting Atlanta when I read the last article, but This is happening all across the country. Why? Because a lot of the white people want to move back into the city and have the luxuries of the cities, and also they're building out, you know, the downtown areas in these cities. More and more industries are coming back. And so, you know, a lot of black and brown people are being pushed out to the outskirts of the city or just totally out of the city. You know, they can't afford to live there anymore. Hell, look and see what's happening up in Brooklyn. Pay attention. You know, look at what's happening here in Chicago. You got Atlanta, you got Los Angeles, all of that. You know, and and blacks are being pushed out. There's a reason for that. And while blacks are being pushed out, money for transportation, public transportation is running out. So the buses and trains won't make it out there to the suburbs too much longer. And if they continue to go out there, instead of having a train coming every 30 to 45 minutes, you may get one every couple of hours. So you need to understand what's happening and how this is not a coincidence. But again, you know, I was just, like I said, listening to her and 
and, you know, she made a lot of great points. And, you know, there were some points that, you know, I differ on, but, you know, that's okay. You know, but we need to, we need you guys to read. You know, while we're out here living in, you know, what they consider the ghetto, um, you know, go and pay attention. Who are the slumlords? You know, they're generally wealthy white landowners or these wealthy corporations now. You know, and what, you know, is not stolen from us, and when I say us, I'm talking about working class people, generally black and brown people, but, you know, it can apply to others as well. You know, we're getting unfair wages, and with this particular administration and the way they're trying to set things up is, again, <laughs> your your wages and your salaries are going to remain stagnant, in some cases driven down, while the prices of everything continue to go up. If you all have been tracking food for the last 10 years, food prices have gone up. Now, some of your favorite products, you know, you're like, oh, it's still the same price. Yeah, but instead of it being, you know, 20 ounces of whatever, now you're only getting 16 ounces. So the size of the package has, you know, gotten smaller. But most people don't even realize that. They don't even pay attention to it. So that's how they're able to kind of cut costs without passing on an increase in price. But it really is an increase in price if you go and you you know you calculate how much it costs per ounce or per you know whatever. So yeah, it's a lot of that going out there. But besides you know having the unfair wages, you know being taxed to death, and again you know paying these slumlords you know a shitload of money. In addition to that, you have too many of us trying to keep up with the Joneses or trying to outdo the Joneses, and what little you have left, many of you all end up putting in the collection plate at church. So the church takes the rest. And what I want you to ask yourself, and I really want you to think about this, the local churches in your community, what are they doing for the the local community? Now, I know some good churches out here that, you know, they – you know, they feed the homeless, you know, they give away, you know, the food from the different food depositories, sometimes the members donate, and they're doing all of these wonderful things, even with the CETA program, in which, you know, it's a government, a federal government program that helps people with their electric and light bills when, you know, and gas bills when they don't have the money. And again, you have to qualify for that. And what they do is they rent an office space in the church. And you have all of this this happening and but that same church does the pastor live in a multimillion dollar home in 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 a gated community? Is he pulling up in his Maybach, you know, or his Austin Van Martin, I mean, you know, his Benz while the majority of the members are walking home or catching the bus. You know, a few of them have cars. You know, I've seen pastors tell their members if they have an old car not to park in a parking lot, to park on the street because he wants his or her church to 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 say prosperity. So they only want to see cars that are only, you know, three years or younger. 
in the parking lot. You have a lot of this going on, and we need to ask ourselves why and how we get caught up in this. And so, yeah, you know, this is not necessarily what you thought it was going to be today's show, but, you know, one reason or another, we're all part of the good Negro crew in some respect, and it's unfortunate. And what I want you all to do is to really sit down and look at the situation that you're in. And what's even more concerning to me are the so-called white allies and how they, you know, Stacey Patton wrote an article. I think she wrote it last Sunday or Monday. And it hit upon everything that I was going to talk about last Sunday, but I'm still going to talk about it today. And talk, and I've talked about it in the past. If you go back and listen to prior shows, especially the one before this one, and I talk about white allies and their conditional allyship and how as long as we say and do the right things and dance to the beat of their drums and 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 you know wait and and not rock the boat too hard you know they're with us but the minute we say or do something that they do not like that's not aligned with their particular agenda or talking points then it's a problem it's not even white allies that you know that falls into that category you have some black ones too you know they they don't want you rocking a boat they don't want you doing anything that may jeopardize you know their bottom line you know whether it's for money or recognition or what the hell ever so you know you have black folks that are doing the same thing but with the white people it's a little bit different because you have some white people out here who feel that if they even only give you a dollar they feel like they have you know that they have a right to decide who should be a part of your organization or your movement and once their little feelings are hurt again that white you know fragility is is going to kill us you know they get to decide who should be removed from your organization or who should be removed from your movement right all because their little feelings were hurt now i'm bringing that up because there was an article that was released and has been circulating and it was in regards to Black Lives Matter and the Toronto chapter, right? And so, you know, one of the members of that chapter said some things that displeased the white folks. Just like when they shut down the gay parade and would not let them continue until, you know, the organizers signed off that they would, you know, um, they would devote more resources into black and brown communities. And, you know, the white folks were all up in arms about that. Just like the white folks were all up in arms when Black Lives Matter people were hopping the stage and shutting Bernie down and shouting Hillary down and, you know, and you know, the only thing that was saving Hillary is she got the Secret Service detail. Otherwise, they would have been on top of that stage, you know, with her as well. And they did the same thing. I know some people are like, well, they only did that to the white people. No, they did the same thing to Al Sharpton 
when he lied about, you know, allowing the Ferguson activists and the Black Lives Matter activists to have a, you know, have a speaking spot on that so-called March on Washington a few years ago. And they hopped the stage and snatched a microphone. And you should have just seen the looks, you know, like they were indignant, like, oh, my, the nerve. So, I mean, you know, this is happening. But in regards to that situation with BLM in Toronto, so, you know, some white folks got upset because, you know, some of the comments that came from, you know, one of the members – And, you know, I went back and I read it, and, you know, I can't speak to everything because those weren't my words, right? However, there is some truth in what she said. Now, I don't believe that anyone is any more superior or inferior to anyone else in theory, right? You know, so that's where I stand with that. But when she was talking about the difference between white people and black people genetically, um, there's a lot of truth to that. And what I mean by that is, you know, this is something, one of the most basic things that I learned in biology, and this was you know, what most people would consider junior high school biology, you know, and I learned this. But we learned about Mendel's genetic laws. And so I would advise you guys to go out there and look it up because what it talks about are dominant and recessive genes. And I really wish Raina was here, you know, so she could talk about this a little bit more, but we're going to set up a show so that we can talk about this. But look up Mendel's genetic laws. M-E-N-D-E-L, M-E-N-D-E-L, you know, a scientist. And it talks about dominant and recessive genes. All right, and how it's passed on through the generations and, you know, how that's set up. But basically, white is without color, void of color. And two white people, and I'm not talking about the white person that has a black grandmama or a great grandmama they don't know about. I'm talking about the ones that understand their lineage, and these are two white people. Two white people cannot make a black baby. Can't do it. Black, black is an aggregation of all colors, and all colors can derive from blackness. So two black people can produce a white-colored baby. You know, you see albinos, and you've seen, you just would be amazed at, you know, some of the things that have happened out there. But if you want to get a better understanding, you need to go and look this up, you know. And the statements that she made was like an aggregation of a number of different ideologies and beliefs Some I can't speak to because, you know, I've never been a part of certain communities. And so, you know, it's just not my thing. And so I'm not going to speak to that. However, before you get out here and you get all butthurt and try to dictate who should be removed and who should be shunned, maybe you should do some research. 
and get a better understanding. You know, maybe this is a testament to the public schools in this country, of which I'm a product of. I went to a public school, and in, you know, one of the most basic biology classes that I took, we learned about Mendel's genetic laws. So I strongly advise that you start looking this shit up instead of sitting there and, you know, bathing in your fucking tears. You know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Fuck your feelings. Ain't got shit to do with your emotions. You're taking all this shit personally when you shouldn't. But again, this white fragility, you know, it's not greater than the collective pain that black people in general have, you know, have felt in this country and continue to feel. It's not greater than the collective loss that we've had. We worked and we worked and we worked for free. The wealth that many white people in this country have accumulated is through slavery. The the American economy is built on the slave history and the slave labor. Period. And for those whose relatives were you know that didn't have slaves, you still benefit from the luxury of having white skin. Period. You know, and and again, that white fragility is not greater than the degradation that we experience and have experienced and will continue to experience until we stand up and say we're not taking this shit anymore and take what belongs to us. You know, we've suffered. And, you know, what pisses me off is when I hear all this white-splaining about how you know what's best for us, especially coming from progressive liberals. You're full of shit. You know it, and I know it. And, you know, at the same time, when you're trying to white-splain this bullshit to us, telling us to go home and pray about it or to sit back and wait and watch, you know, well, we have to give, you know, Donald Trump a chance, and we have to give him a chance to prove himself. Well, he's already proved he's going to do everything he said he was going to do. We believed him. You didn't. We don't have the luxury of sitting back and watching and waiting to see what he's going to do to us as he steamrolls over everybody else. We already know what's coming. We don't know exactly what he's going to do, but we know it's coming. And now, you know, you have Jeff Sessions as the attorney general, and they have already signed some executive orders in regards to reviving you know, and, and, and increasing the war on drugs, the war on crime. You may as well say the war on poverty, too. So black and brown people are in a lot of trouble. And you're telling us to wait and watch and pray and to be quiet? And this is not the right time to voice our opinion. This is not the right time for us to take our agency. This is not the right time for us to say no, or you're trying to tell us how to say it. And, again, you know, you have these people out here with this doublespeak. You know, they'll say one thing, but it means something totally different. And what a lot of white people don't understand is it can be, you know, a group of white people and a group of black people in a room, and you have different speakers up there. There's there's going to be a good chance we heard two different damn things. 
And there are too many of these white progressive liberals that are trying to force us to acclimate, that are trying to force us to see things their way. And, 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 you know, again, you get to live in the luxury of your white privilege. Either way, you're going to be fine. And, and and then you go out here and you insert yourselves into situations where you don't belong. And you try to force some issues. And no, that's not how it goes. And I'm glad that Black Lives Matter is standing up and pretty much saying, fuck you. Fuck your feelings too. That's what they should be saying. You don't get to dictate that. Because the thing is, is that you want to get out of here, you want to talk about your little hurt feelings and dictate shit when you've done nothing in the past to fix this situation. It's just a bunch of rhetoric, a bunch of talk. You haven't done shit. And to be honest with you, I still don't believe you're going to do shit now. You just got to have something to talk about. You know, again, you know, it was interesting. One of the articles or many articles that are coming out is talking about how, you know, this Bannon administration has to have an enemy in order for them to – you know, kind of keep up with what's happening out here and and keep, you know, throwing the red meat to their supporters. And so now they've turned on the press. And the thing is, is that, you know, that's not only with this administration, this is just human nature, period. So you got to find one enemy, one one cause or one person that you can rally the troops behind and, and all of that, and it's just bullshit. And what I will say to some of you other folks out there, you know, whether it's black people or white folks trying to convince you that this person or that person isn't any good for you, you know, keep sitting there. Keep listening to that shit. You know, because many of the black people that are saying that, they're saying that because they're relying on white validation. You know, and 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 they bend over backwards to accommodate many of these white folks, and they seek white supervision because they think that's going to help them get to the prize. You know, they have their eyes on a particular prize, and they feel that it, that the only way they can navigate that minefield is to have white supervision telling them where to step, what to say, what to do. They need that white validation and approval. And once, you know, the white people have finished using you, they're going to toss you under the bus like the rest of them. They don't give a shit. You know, it's about them making them look good. They're making themselves look good. So anyway, you know, I just, I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at, you know, the members of the Good Negro Crew, and I'm like, you know, the hell are you doing? You know, it was this young man, uh, his name is Kofi Cerebo, and he was saluting black women and, you know, talking about, you know, the great black women, you know, that have been in his life and that he admired. And some white woman inserted herself into the conversation. And I'm like, can't we have nothing? Really? You got to be in every damn thing. You got to be the center of every fucking thing, right? Now, if we did that shit, we would get, we would be attacked, dismissed, you know, all of that. And what will get to me is with some of these white people out here, just because you date black people or you've married a black person, 
you don't get to insert yourself in shit like this. You know, it was a funny little article that came out, and they were talking about inviting white people to the cookout. And, you know, white people having to understand that they are a plus one. And plus ones do not get to invite other folks, especially other white people, to the cookout or the wedding or the reception or anything like this. You know, and so when we see shit like this, we're just looking around flabbergasted because it's like, you know, you're just not happy unless you're in the middle of everything or you're telling us what to do. I mean, it was bad enough that Rachel Dolezal was out here performing blackness, you know, performative blackness, you know, and you got all of this shit going on. And, you know, you can't even have a black man or a black woman say something positive about other black people without white folks getting offended. You know, and so, again, you know, you know, kind of coming back to center, you know, in regarding in regards to that white man that crossed over to the conservative side, to the right. You know, that's not a surprise. I mean, to be honest with you, most of them are already over there. They're just too afraid to say it publicly. But because they have been empowered and emboldened by the Bannon administration, you know, now they feel like they can come out and be themselves, and it's so funny because, you know, many of us have had conversations about it's time to make racists afraid again, make them scared again. And it's just the funniest thing because, you know, <laughs> you know, many of them are just trolling. And I know about trolling. I used to be one. It would be the funniest thing ever. But, um, yeah, you know, we need to start saying, you know, speaking out about this stupid shit. And, again, like I said, you got some of these white folks that are telling black people to just wait and be quiet and that Trump won and to get over it. And it's not just the white folks doing that. You know, again, um, what's his name? Donald Donnie McClurkin, you know, black preacher. We fall down, but we get up, right? And who's an ex-gay and getting ready to marry some damn body, some woman. And he was telling Christians to stop protesting Donald Trump, right? And you had one of the Marys from the Mary Mary group saying basically the same thing and that she was praying for the president. And, you know, I'm seeing this from, you know, a lot of people of color, but especially the religious people of color. And they're telling, you know, other blacks, mainly black Christians, which is the majority of us, and they're telling, you know, those people to stop protesting, stop challenging, stop critiquing, and, you know, let go and let God. I got so much to say about that, and that's going to be a part of that series in which I take these white pastors over predominantly black congregations to task, but even with people like this, you know, you have Donnie McClurkin, you know, and my ex-baby daddy, Maxwell, talking about all lives matter and all of this shit, and it's just, you know, is we're looking at this, and this is some of the stuff that just stops us dead in our tracks, because, you know, some of these same people are you know, out here selling hope 
and selling dreams and selling lies to the people in the name of God. And so, you know, I'm going to talk about some of these black preachers, too. You know, trust me, you know, definitely is fair and balanced on this show. I really don't give a shit. I'll talk about any damn body, you know, but this is something that we need to talk about. And there are some black pastors out here that supported Trump. I mean, hey, you know, you got that jackass over in Ohio, Daryl Scott, right, and a number of others. You know, I believe Omarosa is a pastor. She's not a pastor. She's a minister, but I think she's a pastor. You know, and um, scuttlebutt is that she threatened April Ryan, the same black journalist that Trump told to set up the meeting. So whether there's any truth to that rumor or not, I don't know. However, I am tending to believe April Ryan in that particular situation. And so the thing is is that you have these folks trying to steamroll over, you know, black and brown people. Can't allow that to happen. And so, you know, we're going to cover a lot of shit. You know, I had a bunch of stuff written down that I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about that white woman who lied on Emmett Till and how that's coming out. And I'm hoping that she's charged and put in jail. I don't give a damn how old she is. She needs to go to jail, you know. And, you know, we're all Emmett Till. You know, Mike Brown was Emmett Till. Trayvon was Emmett Till. Sandra Bland, Tamir, you know, Ronnie May, all of them. All it takes is for one white person to make a false accusation to fuck us up. All it takes is for one angry, racist, white cop to pull us over. And all of a sudden, we committed suicide in our cell. All it takes is one white vigilante to say, well, they look suspicious and put a bullet in us. All it takes is for one cop to say that to get angry because we're making him chase us because when we see the cops, for the most part, at this point, you're going to have more and more black and brown people running, running for their fucking lives. And just because you're out of shape, you don't take out your gun and shoot us and say, we made you do it, that could be any of us. And we need to understand this. So, you know, while many of us are sitting here and we're looking at what's happening with this new administration, you know, with their pinky in the brain, you know, type of mentality here, you know, something needs to be said. You sit there and you do nothing and they run over you, all I'm saying is um, you got to speak up. You got to speak up. Because even with President Bannon, you know, he's out here and he's putting out these false narratives. You know, because when it came down to the Dakota Access Pipeline, you know, he's saying that, you know, he didn't he didn't even think it was controversial and that he didn't have, you know, not one call complaining about it. You know, another lie. And remember, they were shutting those phones down, 
And, you know, again, you know, he's approved it. So, you know, that pipeline is going to go through, you know, Standing Rock. And you have the people out there fighting. You know, you even had military people go out there and stand with the Standing Rock, you know, Sioux tribe. And they were beaten and jailed and and all of these things. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to make sure I mention this. Now, you know, the scuttlebutt is that you know, the Bannon administration wanted to call out 100,000 National Guardsmen, women, and, you know, deploy them. And, you know, originally the scuttlebutt was they were trying to deploy them to round up undocumented immigrants, right? However, you know, something slipped, you know, something was leaked, and basically, you know, the real reason why they want to deploy 100,000 National Guard troops is because they want to stop these protests because President Bannon feels that the protests have gotten out of hand. Now, if that doesn't wake you up, if that doesn't make you think, I don't know what else can. He wants to squash all dissent. He wants to put certain regulations in place for the Internet. You know, for those of you that are married to your damn computers and your phones, they want to regulate what you see and what you don't see and what you say and what you can't say. So, yeah, this affects all of you, every last one of us. You know, and, again, seeing the problems across the board. I posted an article talking about um, the black nationalists and the white nationalists. So I think the to- the, um, the title of the article was like Hotep and Alt-Right and some type of alliance. And we've talked about that on this show. As a matter of fact, I did an entire show dedicated to black nationalists and white nationalists and how they have the same message, how one wants white supremacy and the other one wants white supremacy but in black face. And this is why you see these alliances, you know, popping up all over social media because they want the same damn thing. You know, they're speaking the same language, except one sees visions of, you know, whiteness, and the other one sees visions of blackness, and this is a problem. And for those of you that are out there, open your eyes and pay attention. You know, and I used to call them ho-teppers, but a friend of mine, we had a chat. He was like, please don't. So the no-teppers, you know, the no-teppers are just as bad as these, you know, white supremacists, these Klansmen. It's the same shit, you know, and there are different factions of that, you know, because ho-tep means peace. Okay, I get that. However, you have a certain group of them, and they're popping up all over the place, and they're embedded in a lot of these communities, and there's a reason for that. And so we've discussed it. I'm going to bring it up. I think I'm going to do a whole show about, you know, this 
Hotel Alt-Right Alliance, you know, as per that particular article. But, um, yeah, you know, when it comes down to white supremacy, you know, like I said, one in white face, one in black face. When it comes down to patriarchy, they agree on that. When it comes down to capitalism, same thing with that. And, unfortunately, you have a lot of black people out here who feel that capitalism is our ticket to freedom. And what they don't seem to understand is that you cannot have capitalism without racism. It is all intertwined. And the capitalism that that maintains this society here, you know, again, the foundation of it is anti-blackness, slavery. That is where the money, that is where the industries, all of that, that is where it came from. That is what it was built upon. And black people participating in capitalism will not save us. It will not liberate us. It will not free us. And this is why we need for you to understand that these black nationalists and these white nationalists, they're two peas in a pod. Uh, Forrest Gump would say they were like peas and carrots, you know, and either way it goes, it's problematic. And it needs to be discussed. And, you know, it actually needs to be trotted out into the middle of the stage and put the spotlight on that bitch. You know, because that's what's happening right there. So, you know, again, last week I didn't get a chance to um, do the show because I wanted to talk about the slumber party that, you know, President Bannon had with the Japanese prime minister. But, um, you know... When they saw, when they found out that North Korea had launched that missile test and how all those discussions were done in public with people watching and waiting, you know, and, and you know, being discussed out in open, you know, no security there because not only were the patrons of that particular country club privy to that particular situation, but the people that were around, you know, the prime minister and the president, they were able to use their phones and, you know, as flashlights and who knows who was recording. And then, you know, they took a picture. It's just, it's, it's outrageous. So, again, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, you know, and there was an article that came out in the New Republic that I wanted to talk about, and it was talking about the Democratic Party and their race problem. So I'm just going to give a basic synopsis of that, and it was talking about Hillary Clinton and how, you know, Hillary and the DNC decided against investing money in the black community in this presidential race because, number one, you know, I guess we're not the minority of the month anymore, right? Even though I know a lot of people say, please stop calling us minority, you know, so, okay, I guess we're not the dish of the month, right? But they took for granted that black people would vote for the Clintons regardless, and that came back to bite them in a major way. You know, not only that, but also, again, the way that they, the way that Hillary patronized the Black Lives Matter activists. Now, you know, there were some issues right there. 
But overall, she was very condescending. And, you know, a lot of people of color are starting to wake up to see the damage that was done by Bill Clinton. You know, and some of the damage that had already been done by Ronald Reagan and that Bill Clinton, you know, he exacerbated it. And so this is why I'm saying to people, just, you know, my general audience here, is we're going to these Democrats and these Republicans and begging them not only to recognize us as human and to treat us equal, but to fix problems in our communities that were created by them, to fix problems in our communities in which they profit on. They're not going to do it. And in order for us to really move forward from this point, like I said, we need to dump the Democrats and the Republicans. I'm sick of them all. And that would include the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. You know, they're really non-fucking factors. But, you know, something has to be done. However, if we're going to have a real conversation on race and politics and all of that in this country, we need to, you know, we need to research and arm ourselves with knowledge and be able to come and sit down and talk to them and say, well, what happened, you know, with, you know, FDR and the New Deal, it created this situation here. You know, you had the Homesteading Act and how white people were given land and even with the New Deal, it was nothing but affirmative action for white people, and we've discussed that on this show, and I'm going to pick that book back up. And, you know, there have been a number of articles that have come out in the past week or two based on some research. I mean, we've been telling y'all the answers to this shit for years, but you don't believe what we say. But it was, you know, a study that came out that talked about black people are not lagging behind white folks because we aren't working hard enough or that because we're lazy, we're lagging behind white people because we have not inherited the money. We have not inherited, you know, the privilege. And for many of these white folks, they come out here and they want to say that they and their relatives worked hard. No, we worked hard and you were given shit. And also the negative effects of the New Deal and how it negatively impacted the black community and how we were shut out of a lot of those programs, right? But also, in addition to that, I need for you all to understand what's happening with this Bannon administration. They're trying to roll back the New Deal and all of the policies and programs that have come out of the New Deal. So they're trying to take us back to like the 20s in, 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 in that era, and you need to be careful, and you need to pay attention because white people are going to be, you know, disproportionately affected by this. If, if we're talking raw numbers, I'm just talking raw numbers. And, you know, they're trying to roll this back, and that's going to create chaos because, you know, if you've been paying attention you have some white people out here who voted for Trump that are angry because they're just now realizing that the Affordable Care Act is the same thing as Obamacare. See, their Affordable Care Act was different than Obamacare for the blacks and the Latinos. See, they don't think the black and brown people deserve shit. 
include the red people and some of the yellow people too. See, they don't deserve shit, but the white folks, they deserve that help. They deserve that social safety net. So when they find out that it's all one and the same, then they have a shit fit because many of them voted against their own interests, their best interests, out of sheer ignorance. Black people do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. And so go back and read it. But, you know, if we're going to start having all of these town halls, you know, I want to make sure that you have your information. And when you're standing there, you're just hitting them with, you know, the history and the information, documented facts. You know, and of course, you know, you're going to have some of them saying, well, those, those are alternative facts. No, it's the true facts. You just don't want to face it. And so, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much to look out for. There's so much to do. And, you know, with with what's happening now, especially with the political climate in this country, and specifically with progressive liberals. You know, they seem to be, you know, on one hand, some people would say they're blinded to race, so they don't see race. So here we go with this bullshit colorblindness and post-racial America, which is not true. But unfortunately, you have to rope-a-dope a lot of white people into having conversations about race. Because they don't want to have it. They don't want to talk about it. And they definitely don't want to be called racist. But we all know my default on this show. All white folks are racist. And you have to work toward becoming or losing those biases. And and you have to work towards that. And, you know, in one of the articles, the one that, um, let's see here. It was from the New Republic, and it's talking about the Democratic Party and the race problem. I have one of the quotes here, and it says, one of the things I find is a progressive blind spot is race, said pollster Cornell Belcher, who previously worked for President Barack Obama's presidential campaigns and the Democratic National Committee. Republicans get race. They get it, and they understand how to organize around it. And just in general, the Republicans are organized. The Democrats are not, which is why I'm pointing to what Donald Trump is doing and saying that it's ingenious, because it is. You should be starting – you should be working on your um, – on your reelection the day after for those that are going to run for office, you know, you should be planning that. You should be putting all of that in place. You know, waiting until the last minute is not going to get you anything. But another quote from that article, um, it says, Representative Yvette Clark of Brooklyn said her party doesn't. I will tell you one of the things that I found most disheartening in the last election cycle was this implied distrust of communities of color, she said, summarizing the attitude, we cannot vest any resources with you, but when we need you, you should be ready to be deployed. She added, we had the strategy on the ground already. We were 
were just waiting for manna from heaven. It never showed up, and when it did, it was an insult. It was an insult. I don't want to go through another election cycle like that. And that goes back to what I was saying about Hillary Clinton and the fact that the DNC and Hillary felt as though they didn't have to invest any resources in black and brown communities because they took it for granted that black and brown people would vote for them. And when they finally did, you know, drop some money to, you know, to, to deploy the resources of the people out there, it was pennies. It was pennies. So this is why I say, you know, go follow the money. Follow the money. Pay attention. You know, and it's just unfortunate because, again, the black community is being scapegoated. We're being told that it was our fault, and it is expected for black people to pick up the slack for white people every time. That is always expected, that we pick up the slack, that we fix their fuck-ups, you know. And, you know, we've given you several examples here, but – um. You know, there was an article in The Root, and it said that ha, if they were Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, that, you know, they'd put them on the do not answer list. And it's the funniest thing because I have a do not answer list. It's like, I see that you called, but my phone don't ring. I just see that I missed the call, and I wanted to. So anyway, you know, it's a lot to talk about. And like I said, you know, in one respect or another, you know, all of us play a role in this good Negro crew shit. And it's time to stop. It's time to stop. Because, you know, lives have always been at stake. But I just feel that the situation now is more dire and we have everything to lose. You had, you know, Trump out here saying, what do you have to lose? And the answer to that is everything. Everything. And so when you see some of these so-called alliances, like I said, with the black nationalists, you know, a certain sector of that, and the white nationalists, you need to be asking why. You need to be asking why. What do they have in common? But also, you need to be looking at the big picture because something is coming. And, you know, it's kind of hard to be prepared for something that you don't know that's coming your way. You know it's coming, but you just don't know what it is. And in the meantime, you know, you're being distracted by, you know, President Banner's Twitter account, Bannon's, you know, Twitter account, and the stupid shit that he's doing. He's doing that to distract from the fact that he had to fire Flynn, you know, to distract from the fact that there were Russian ties and, you know, a lot of shit is coming out about that. You know, suddenly people are drinking poison tea and people are dying off and people are disappearing. You know, we need to be talking about that. We need to be talking about these bills that are, you know, secretly being pushed. And, you know, you have these whistleblowers, these leakers out here who are telling us about these things because Donald Trump would have 
you know, signed that executive order taking protections away from the LGBTQ members that work for the federal government and just that are employed, period. And he only backed down because the general public got angry about it. But see, this is this is the deal right here. When Jeff Sessions was confirmed, executive orders were signed immediately by President Biden. So they're getting ready to ramp up again that war on drugs, the war on crime, and pretty much the war on poverty because they are punishing folks for being poor. And, you know, that's the interesting thing. And we've talked about, you know, when he says make America great again, it's talking about making America white again, giving white people back their so-called privilege or white privilege that they feel has been taken away because they don't want to share anything with any damn body. It's all about them and what they want. But, you know, where's the outrage about that? I mean, even with the white feminists and the white women that voted for Donald Trump, they blamed the black folks for some of the problems with that women's march and angry because we didn't support it and just totally incensed that, you know, several of us had the nerve to critique it. You know, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, but they want that silence from you. You know, Zora Neale Hurston, you know, said something about that and was basically telling people to speak up because if you don't speak up and you remain silent, you know, these people will continue to persecute you or kill you and all these things. And because you were silent, they will be able to say that, you know, you enjoyed it, you wanted it, you know, that it was okay with you. It's not okay. It's not cute. And you're not only harming yourself, you know, you're harming, you know, your loved ones, you're harming your friends, you're harming the people around you. I don't even know what else to say to you guys, you know, but, you know, you have some of these same communities, you know, again, that are angry because you have people like me. You know, who are saying this, these things, even over here in the atheist secular community, you know, many, many of them, again, hide behind the smoke and mirrors, the cloak and dagger of being progressive liberals who just happened to vote for, you know, President Bannon because they hate Hillary so much, which is bullshit. And you've had some of your more prominent ones outright telling folks to vote for Donald Trump, and that's their prerogative, and that's fine, you know. And then you have the ones out here that didn't say vote for Trump but didn't necessarily say not to vote for Trump. They know they voted for Trump, but they thought that he was going to leave them alone. And when he went after them first, they were like, oh, shit, no, that's not what we voted for. We don't care what you do to them. And, I mean, look at some of you all just, it's just the funniest thing. You know, mad at us, for those of us that speak out against this bullshit, 
you know, and those of us that are out here outright telling you to kiss our asses because, you know, that's just what it is. You get mad because you'd rather have me sit over here and say nothing. So you can attempt to say that, well, she didn't say anything about it, then it must not be that bad. No, it's bad. And I limit what I say. Why? Because I'm at the point that, you know, with some of these communities, I already know what's going to happen. And for some folks, especially some of the marginalized groups in some of these communities, you're seeing this shit now. We've been telling you about it for years. And now you want to act like your feelings are hurt. But you're still caping for these same white people that are throwing you under the bus. You know, some of the black feminists that were out there, you know, and we can never get them to come out the house for anything else, but you made it out for that march. So, I mean, I I should be, I guess, thankful that you at least got out the house for something, but yet you're silent when you have black feminists and womanists out here talking about how many of these white feminists are stealing their material. Oh, well, they could have been thinking of the same thing. And, you know, we're all sisters, and we're supposed to share. And sisters shouldn't fight, and sisters shouldn't sue each other or press charges or any of this other shit. While at the same time, if you did that shit to them, your ass, let me tell you, they'd have pulled your ass under the water so fast. Because trust me, you got sharks swimming around out here, and they smell the blood in the water. It's just a matter of time. And even with the LGBTQ community and the bullshit they pulled on the black community in in California, you know, and it's it's happened all across the country in different situations, but they got mad because they claimed that the black church was homophobic, and the black church is not I mean, it's like this. The black church is not more homophobic than the white church. You know, know, homophobia is homophobia. And the truth of the matter is a lot of the black churches picked up that damn rhetoric and language from the white churches. You know, but again, you know, they want us to stand in solidarity with them. But where the fuck were they? You know, and you know what? I haven't looked. And I'm going to go out there and look because I want to see which ones of these LGBTQ communities, white communities, or these white feminist community, or the white atheist community, you know, or just, you know, these white progressive liberals and some of these, you know, uh, moderate Republicans, white Republicans that claim to be allies. You know, I'm going to go out there to see what you had to say about that executive order being signed, increasing the war on crime and the war on drugs and the war on poverty. I want to see your think pieces in regards to the black community and the protections that need to be put in place to 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 protect those, you know, to protect these different communities. You know, it was one piece that a white woman wrote, and she was talking about how at that woman's march, how she was being held for her sign. 
And, you know, and she noticed that black women who had similar thoughts and similar signs, how they were scowled at and, you know, ignored. But, you know, they but the white women wanted to, you know, up, you know, uphold her. And she 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 admitted that, you know, to the mediocrity and how women of color, you know, have been dismissed. And all of these things, and it's just really interesting when I look at the community as a whole, because it's not just, you know, white folks that are doing that. You have a lot of black folks, too, because unfortunately, with some black people, the only way they'll believe something is if a white person says it. And the only way that, you know, in many of these communities, black and white, the only way that they'll get behind, you know, certain things like the social justice movement, Black Lives Matter movement, and a number of other things is when, you know, the privileged white men leaders in the community give them the nod and the thumbs up. Then all of a sudden it's okay to be behind these particular movements and to say, yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter, knowing damn well you punch Trump. You know, Black Lives Matter when it's convenient for you. Black Lives Matter when, you know, you're trying to exploit or manipulate us for something. Black Lives Matter when you capitalize off of it. And this is what I'm seeing with a lot of whites, you know, in these social justice movements and these human rights movements and all of these different movements that are out here, you know, stealing the words and ideas of people of color while at the same time denigrating them and demanding their silence or total solidarity while in the background knowing good and damn well you're just trying to make some money off of it, you're not going to challenge the people in your life, and especially if these people are your members and you need their membership dollars, you need their donations, you need their numbers to further whatever agenda or goal you have. You know, and with the black ones that are out here doing the same thing, didn't give a shit about social justice or Black Lives Matter until the white folks nodded and you figured that you can make some money off of it. But otherwise, you don't care. And we know you don't care. But you'll play the role to get what you want. We're not asleep. We see you. We know you. We know who you are. We know what you're doing, and we're going to continue talking about it. And we're going to continue putting you on blast. Why? Because I fucking can. Period. And so, you know, it's a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of work. But we're getting ready to start a series and be talking about Air Down Body but especially white preachers that supported Trump that have a predominantly black and brown congregation and some of these televangelists that beg for money from black and brown folks all the time that supported Trump, 
some of these black preachers that are further perpetuating a bunch of bullshit by telling people to telling black people to shut up and just deal with it and let go and let God, you know, and, um, you know, I'm going to have to be real careful with that uh, so as not to get too personal in that show because some of these assholes, I'm just sitting back, you know, you make an album and then now all of a sudden you're a pastor. And I'm going to talk about how, you know, you have some of these gospel artists out here and it's only so much money you can make, especially if you sign to a record company, because you have to pay a lot of that money back. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of usury in that shit. And you can only tour so much. I remember way back when, when gospel artists would come to town, you would go to the church to see them. Sometimes it would be a 5 or $10 ticket, you know, you know, donation. And now you got them filling arenas at sixty, seventy, a hundred plus dollars a ticket going on tour. Well, you know, to be honest with you, that's where the money is. However, with many of them, they need an active and passive income streams. And one way to get that is through a church. And then they get to twisting the words in the church, especially about the tithe. And I think I'm going to add that part to this series too, you know, and while, you know, I differ with most of the ideology, if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it all. And, you know, and yes, I'm going to have to come from a spiritual perspective on that, especially when we start talking about, you know, the Levites and, you know, their authority to collect the tithe and how there are no Levites now. So no one is qualified to take the tithe in according to the Bible. And, you know, you have one person out there, Juanita Bynum, who said that God had consecrated her as a Levitical priest to accept the tithe. And, you know, which was a bunch of bullshit, but you know, we can talk about all of that, but I also definitely want to talk about the difference between black Christianity and white Christianity. White Christianity is based on fear and oppression and control. Black Christianity is basically based on, you know, Barack Obama's mantra, hope and change. And there's a big difference between the two. And so it's interesting, but, yeah, you have a lot of people out here who are, you know, hedging their bets that the black and brown people will remain quiet, remain docile, allow themselves and their communities to be steamrolled over and just accept a lot in life that has been given to us. And you have a lot of white people and black people that are out here and will say, why can't you just, you know, conform? Why can't you just accept things the way they are and take what's given to you and be satisfied and be happy with that? You need to think about that. You need to think about why you have so many people out here, you know, 
they basically just want you to be seen and not heard. They don't even really want you to be seen, truth of the matter. You know, it's funny when we had that one guy call the show in which I was talking about something totally different, and he's he called up, and again, centering his whiteness and how white people go last and all of that shit, right? And um, just, again, another example of white people out here who are claiming that they're victims. And just because you have to share a little bit more of the pie, you know that feels like oppression to you. Like I said, these people are on some shit. And I'm challenging those of you that are part of the Good Negro Crew or the Good Negro Club. You got to do something. Because I'm getting ready to push the envelope right off the fucking table. Whether you land on your feet or not, that's up to you. But you've been warned. And so a number of things that are coming up, and I need to make the information about the show next week, but I will see you next Sunday, 1 o'clock Central Standard Time, and show will be upcoming in which me and Raina We'll talk a little bit about Mendel's genetic laws, dominant and recessive genes, and, and, and things that pertain to that. So, all right, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to to live. We are here to challenge you to live and think for yourself, not convert you. All right, everybody, have a good Sunday afternoon. Take care. <laughs>